If you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me? We're going to be in Psalm 133. So that's Psalm 133. If you don't have your Bible, it will come up on the screen in front of you. It will come up on the screen in front of you, even if you have your Bible. But it's helpful sometimes to have uh, the, in front of you as well. Um, but uh, over the, the summer, we've been doing a, a series of, of one-offs. Um, uh, we've, so we've been taken to a number of different ways as, as God has been speaking to us in a number of different ways. Um, but I've, uh, I've loved uh, just taking the time in the summer just to, to come to uh, the Psalms. And uh, I've really felt uh, this is where I've, God has been keeping me in the summer. My, my own devotionals have been uh, in the book of Psalms. Um, I just want to read this to you and then we'll uh, unpack it a bit together. So Psalm 133. A song of a sense of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs. It's a collection of 150 songs. And if you've spent any time looking at the book of Psalms, you'll know that these songs are not shy about what human life is like. Right? They, they approach worship, as we've seen over the summer as we've looked at a few of them, from every different angle. You know, sometimes when we look at some, some of the songs that uh, we might sing today, um, some of those give you the impression that maybe to worship God, you already have to be living in this sort of perpetual high. Like I'm, I've always got to be uh, on the mountaintop enjoying the wonderful blessings of God in order to worship him. Um, fortunately, uh, even as you look through our, our songbooks, you'll see that that's, that's not true of every song. But the Psalms particularly, when you look at the scriptures, you see... Uh, these, these writers, they're not shy about human life. In fact, they, they come to God with all their troubles, all their pains, all their hurt. And that, even as we've, we've looked at these few psalms that we have done, we've seen David, um, who's the writer of, of about half of the psalms, uh, he, is, he is exactly like that. He, is, he shares his pains, his hurts uh, with God. Now, so psalms... They are songs of praise. And we, but we're given, in some of these psalms, a sort of an introduction before we get to the actual worship. As you see, a song of a sense of David. Now, so, to say, now David, we know from Scripture. Now, if, you, if you've read your Old Testament or if you've, if you've grown up in Sunday schools, you've probably coloured in David a number of times. Either as he's uh, been king or as he's been killing um, Goliath. Um, you've probably coloured him in or he's been on your words uh, search at some point. Um, but uh, for those of us who may be not familiar with the, the Bible stories, David is, uh, he is a, an unlikely king. And he, he's chosen by God to be the king, to be ruler of Israel. And he becomes a mighty warrior, an incredible leader uh, of his people. And he sees uh, Israel come into a wonderful time of peace. And he sees Israel through some of its hardest times as well. And, and, and throughout it all, God has his hand on him. And, and as I say, raised him to be a wonderful king, a wonderful ruler, and a, and a godly uh, and mighty warrior. But at the end of his life, and we've seen this before as we looked at the Psalms, at the end of his life, David, when he looks back across his life, 
describes himself as not a great king or a great warrior, but he describes himself as Israel's singer of songs or Israel's sweet psalmist. That's the, that's, that's the thing that he takes away from all his life. I worshipped the Lord. I'm a, I'm a worshipper of God. And, and so this is one of his, his <coughs> psalms. And, and it kind of comes again with the, uh, the, the other kind of subtitle of it's a song of ascents. Right? A song of, of climbing up the mountain. Now, what is, what is a song of ascents? Well, there's, there's, about, there's 15 song of ascents in the psalms. Uh, and they, and they are, they're the songs that would have been sung by pilgrims, Israel pilgrims, on the way to Jerusalem uh, so they, for their annual gatherings, for their celebrations. So three times a year, all the people of Israel would gather at the, at the tabernacle and then later at the temple of the Lord to, to worship in these great festivals. And they would go up the hill together and they would sing these songs. And again, they, these songs of ascent, they cover many different themes um, as, as, as they uh, direct their attention towards uh, the Lord and to where they're going. And they're really sort of like, as on the way, they're sort of uh, drawing people's attention to who God is and who God is to his people. And so that's kind of where we are uh, this morning uh, so it would be kind of on that journey that they would sing this song. Now, unlike some of the other Psalms of David that we've come across, you know, um, where we, we're given a sort of a, a little bit of a note in that title as to when David wrote it, we don't have that with this Psalm. You know, we're, if you remember when we did Psalm 3, um, we're given the note that, hey, David wrote this Psalm when he was uh, fleeing from the rebellion that was being uh, led by Absalom, his son. And so you, can, you see some of the story behind the psalm. David is writing this as he's in this time of turmoil. And again, when we were in uh, Psalm 51, uh, when, when David is, is writing uh, from having sinned against God and, and, he, and he bears his heart to God, God, would you forgive me? God, would you uh, uh, clean me? Would you make me new? In this psalm, we don't get that. We don't know when David wrote this this song and there's a bit of speculation you know maybe he's writing it in the time of peace when he's looking out and he's seeing this this great unity across the nation and he's saying wow look how good this is but he could also be writing this when in one of those times where there is not unity where there's mess you know in in, like in during Absalom's rebellion and later on in his life as king where it seems like there's just one trouble after another in the nation and there's one rebellion, one uprising after another. And he's, and he's longing for those days of peace and he's, he's crying out to God for it. Maybe that would be more poignant if that's when he did write it. But we don't know. We can speculate. But either way, David, through this song, is, is, is drawing our attention to see something that is beautiful. And he starts with this word, Behold. Now that word behold is really, it's an attention grabber, like do not miss what I'm about to say. You know, in other words, just shut up and listen for a moment. Let me show you something worth seeing. Like Spurgeon, when he, when he gets this, he says, and he, and he looks at that word, he says, you know, this, this is a thing rarely observed, right? This is a thing rarely seen, so pay attention to it. Make note when brothers dwell in unity, in loving unity. David wants us to just 
to just every other voice to be quiet for a moment as he shows us this. And he's talking about brothers dwelling in unity. Now what are we talking about when we talk about unity? Well, there is a, there's a clear sense, uh, interesting that the verse came up before with, as, as Neil was leading us in worship, but there's a sense where it's true in, in a family. You know, it is better for a family to get on with one another. But, but what David is getting at here is, is when the people of God are dwelling in unity. You can imagine uh, as, as towns and villages make, uh, empty themselves and make their way up to Jerusalem, there have probably been a few bumps, people bumping heads with one another over that, over that piece of time. And, and, they, and then as they sing this song, they have their eyes uh, uh, turned again to the unity as they draw themselves to God, as they come together and, and they're called to be of one mind, loving one another. That's what we, we see in, in Jesus' prayer, right? This is, this is not just um, something that we're, we're not just uh, unified uh, because we're Christians and we, co- we happen to be in the same room. Jesus prays what we we're sometimes refer to as the high priestly prayer. In John uh, 17, he says, Lord, I, I, I want them to be one as we are one. I want them to be unified so that the world will know that I am called by you, that I'm anointed by you. There's purpose in unity. And, and it looks like love. John, again and again, as he writes his letters, makes a very clear point that, look, if you're a Christian, you love one another. So much so that John can say, hey, look, if if somebody says that they're from God and they don't love, they're a liar. Right? If there is, if, like, John makes the point, you can tell how much somebody loves God by how well they're loving uh, their Christian brothers. You can tell uh, where somebody is with their journey in faith by how well they love the church. I've heard, I've heard Christians say, you know, I love Jesus, I, I don't get on with the church. And, and you just want to direct their eyes to the scripture and you say, I don't think you do. I don't think you love Jesus if you don't like the church. I don't think that's possible. Uh, sometimes I hear people say, oh, okay, actually as a Christian, you're called to love the church. You don't have to like them. And I think, I hear that and I think, that, I, I hope that's not your view of how God loves you. No, God doesn't just love you, he likes you, Right? And if you think that that's, how you, that's the only way you've got to get on with your neighbour, your Christian neighbour is, I don't have to like them, I just, I just have to love them. Then I think you've got a wrong view of how Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and he's calling you and calling us to love one another and to belong to one another uh, in that same way. This mighty, supernatural, self-denying love that says, I will bear your burdens. I will take the hit every time. That kind of love is what we're called to. And it's that kind of love that David is pointing us to when he says they dwell in unity. It's precious. It's pleasant. It's good. We're called to be of one mind as Christians. And what does that mean? Now, there's, there's, uh, those of you who've been following any, anything that's been going on in, in the Church of England recently, you'll know that there is this, the, the, Lambeth, the Lambeth Conference going on as they... As, the, the C of E is contending for what does it mean to be at Church of England? What do we agree on? And there's a lot of disagreement across the Church of England. Um, and there's a sort of argument for like, well, we need to, um, uh, we, we don't need to agree on everything. And in some senses that's true, but, but the call on Christians is to be of one mind. 
to be like-minded, to be, uh, to be uh, uh, together on the things that matter. Paul calls us to, in, in, in Philippians 1, he says, you know, be of one spirit, of one mind. He's saying, when I come to you, he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he's saying, um, I want to come to you, but when I come to you, I want to see that you're standing together in one spirit, unified, of what, in one mind, loving one another, counting one another as more important than yourselves. This is Christian unity, right? This is, this is, this is not uh, compromising, this is total self-giving to one another. And we'll see a little bit more about how we arrive at that point uh, in a bit, but there is this, there's this call to do nothing from selfish ambition. That's what Paul is going to go on to say. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but give yourselves to one another. Love one another. This is the call on Christians. And this is what David is saying, look, this Look at this. Behold this. It is good and it is pleasant. Because we're not just being asked, when we, when we carry on, we're not just being asked to look at unity. That's not what David is doing here. He's not just saying, look at unity. He's saying, we're actually, he's actually telling us to look at how good it is. He's telling us to look at how good and how pleasant it is. David says that this brotherly unity in love, in one-mindedness, it is not just good... It is also pleasant. It is both good and pleasant. I want to just break those two things up a bit. So it is good. It's good in that it is morally right. It is morally right that we be unified and that we love one another. It is good in that it is the work of God. It's God's work. God is the one who draws us together. God is the one who who made us one. God is the one who, who called us to be one body. It is his work as we'll see as we go on. And it's good, thirdly, because it does good, right? It's good for the church. It makes us effective in what we're called to do in this community. It's good for us individually, right? Even, even the secularists have picked up on this, by the way. You know, a, a child, they've, they've figured out a child will do better at school and in life if they grow up in a community where they know that they are loved, where they know that they are safe, where they know that people are for them. Hey, that's true of us. You're going you're gonna to do better in your Christian walk when you're in part of a community and embod- in, embedded into a community that loves you and that is for you. It's good for you as an individual. And it's good for the world because it points other people to Jesus. When we are together in one mind, together in love, it is good for the world. But it's not just good it is also pleasant or pleasurable, right? Sometimes we've got this idea, we have this idea in our head um, that sometimes good things are not nice things or good things are not pleasurable things, right? There's kind of this idea of, you know, you eat your green vegetables, it's good for you. And you eat them knowing that you're not particularly going to enjoy them. There are plenty of other things that you would enjoy a lot more. Um, maybe as a child, maybe some of you have more mature taste buds than me. But, but the kind of idea that, that, that what's good for you isn't actually what's pleasurable. You know, you'll find joy in other things. Eat your vegetables, have your medicine. Um, it's good for you, but it's not pleasurable. And even the word pleasure, kind of, it kind of, it, there's this sort of picture of the trade-off between what is good and what is right and what is pleasurable. There's, sometimes we have in our heads, you know, even, even the word pleasure sometimes has become used almost as a bit of a naughty word. You know, there's pleasure here. You know, in, in this, in this sin, but there's 
but there's good here. And you can sometimes feel it as a bit of a trade-off. And just a, a little bit of an aside here, there's, sometimes people's view of Christianity can be just that, right? You know, uh, Christianity might be morally right on some things. It might provide me with moral support, but that's not where I'm going to find joy. It's not where I'm going to find true happiness. Actually, Christianity is a bit of an enemy of the good life. And we're going to be um, <coughs> kind of, uh, you know, people can get that in their heads, and it's, it's complete lie. And I hope um, as we return to our series in Matthew in September, and we come to look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, I hope that's something that we're going to be able to, to see, um, something that we're going to be able to enjoy, we're going to be able to see how God uh, does, uh, uh, not, he's not the enemy of the good life, he gives us things, his, his rules and his instructions are good, they are sweet, they're like honey, they bring joy and they bring pleasure, it's something to be enjoyed. And here David is saying that, look, when we come together, it's not just good for us, it's not just good it's also, there's also pleasure to be had in it. Now, even if we don't know the kind of unity that's being talked about here in this passage, we know that that's true from experience in some ways, right? You know that you would much rather be in a room of people that you get on with than people that you don't, right? But, but David is saying there is, there is deep pleasure to be had when the people of God are together in one mind and in one heart. They belong to one another and they make room for one another and they, they give themselves to one another. It is good and it is pleasurable. Another thing to note <coughs> is, that, uh, is that the word, there's the word dwell there, right? So it is good. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now that word dwell kind of gives an impression of uh, con- continuity, right? It's, it's not just that we don't just, we're not visiting unity. We are living there. We become permanent residents of unity. We're, we're, we're not, uh, it's not a part-time thing. It's not, I've just got to put up with him. I've got to just put up with her for, you know, just for a little while, just until Sunday morning ends and then I can go home and I don't have to uh, think about that again. No, it's, it, we, there is a permanence. We, we belong to one another. Hey, even the end of the, the verse, the, the passage uh, points that way. Life forever, right? You are, you're going to spend eternity with this person, by the way. So you better get on with them now. Right? You, there's a, there's a, there, is a, there is a permanence to our unity. We're not just temporarily visiting. We're not just setting up camp there. We belong there. And then David kind of, he kind of t- takes us to two different pictures. I just want us to look at two different pictures just to express in what way Christian unity, this brotherly unity of believers, is both good and pleasurable. He uses these two pictures. First one is of anointing oil on the head of a high priest. And the second is of mountain dew, not the drink, mountain dew that, that comes on the mountain of Hermon, which is the highest mountain in the region, um, and, which, and, and from which there's often snow there, and from which many of the rivers flow, and actually into the, some of the most barren and dry parts of the land there are fed water from this mountain. And so these are the two pictures that, that David uses to say, look, it is good and it is pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. It's like anointing oil and it is like mountain dew. This picture of anointing oil, kind of Aaron uh, being the first high priest uh, that Moses anoints for a purpose. Now the anointing oil is, it is precious and it is sweet, right? As soon as you open the bottle, 
that the room is filled with sweet perfume. There is a, a sense in which you can't hide that the bottle is open. Oh, he's about to be anointed. Everybody within like the, the 100 yards knows there is an anointing going on. There is something uh, sweet and delightful taking place here. But you think, the second thing you, can, uh, you see in that image, right, he says it, it runs down, right? It, it runs down. It's not just sprinkled on the head. It runs down onto his beard. And onto, it gets quite messy. It's on his clothes, right? There is an extravagance to it. They're not being uh, careful with the oil here. They're not, they're not just drip, drip, drip. We need to save this for later, for the next time we do this. No, they have emptied the jar. The vessel is emptied. It has been all poured onto him and it is running down. There is a, an absolute extravagance to it. You know, God does not withhold his blessing. He pours out again and again and again and he loves to extravagantly bless. And that is what the union and the love between uh, brothers in faith is like. It is overflowing. It is extravagant again and again and again and again. And it goes on and on and on and on. It does not dry out. And it overflows. Overflows. It goes to places where you think, was it meant to go there? And the love of the, our love for one another ought to be like that. It ought to run out it, it, of this room into the, the situations where we are so that people who come in contact with us get covered in this anointing oil as well. Right? You can't, you know, you, it's hard to get rid of oil once you've got it on you. Right? And, and get it in your clothes. That's what our love should be like. Because that's what God's love is like. It runs down from Him into us. And into the world. And that is what, that's one of the things that David is trying to show us. But also this, this anointing oil is holy. Right? It's, not just, it's not just extravagant. It's not just beautiful in its smell. It is also holy. It is set aside for the purposes of God. I tell you, our love for one another is not just because Christians are nice. And so because being nice, we should be nice to one another. Our love for one another and our Christian unity in faith and in mind, it is holy. It has been set apart by God for God. It is an act of worship. It is, it is uh, totally other to the other world. That's, that's the, the word holy actually means set apart. It's set apart. It's not like anything else you're going to find in this world. No other unity is like Christian unity. No other love is like Christian love. Nothing else, because our love comes from God. Our unity is from God. It is a blessing and it is totally other. And as we live in it, as we show the world what it's like, it is an act of worship. And they're drawn and they see holy things. You know, when you love, you're showing somebody into the the chamber where God lives. You're showing them the face of God. And there is something deeply exciting about that, deeply powerful about that. And that's why Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. They will know that I am called by God because you love your neighbour. You think, really, God, you're going to display yourself in the world because I I, I made that cup of tea, I crossed that room, I spoke to that person, I stretched my hand to the person who was hurting? Yes. I will display my love for the world through your acts of love for one another. I will. 
And fourthly, that oil has purpose. Right? <coughs> the high priest, Aaron, is being anointed for a purpose. He's been set apart. He's been given a role. It's not, it's not just out of generosity that God pours out this oil. He is, he is anointing the high priest for a purpose. You know, if you're a Christian, you've been called to, for purpose, for a reason. There is purpose in what you're doing. You're not, you're not just, you've not just stumbled into the room. God has called you and has given you a, a, anointing for a purpose. To be a blessing to all the nations. To take the good news of Jesus into all the world. That's what we do. As regions beyond, that's our, that's our heart. We plant churches as we raise leaders, as we send people into places where people haven't gone before with the gospel. That is our heart, and that's a fulfillment of the promises of God on his church. That's what the church has always been doing. Long before we got here, that's what the church has been doing. That's the call on the church, is to be a blessing to the nations. And when you become part of the church, and when you love in this way, you are being anointed for that purpose. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. No longer is it just one man who is anointed as high priest. Jesus is our high priest. But we are called, as the church, we are all called the priests of God. We're all called to, to take God's blessing. This is the role of the priest in the Old Testament. To take God's blessing to the people. And to bring the people into the blessing of God. Into the presence of God. That is your job. If you're a Christian, that's what you do. You take the blessing of God to the nations. And you bring the nations into the presence of God. When, when we love one another, we are anointed to that end. The second image that David uses is of this mountain dew. Now, through the Old Testament, uh, dew is used as this, this image of God's blessing again and again. It's from God, right? These guys, they're living in quite an arid uh, part of the world. So there's not much rainfall through much of the year. And yet... In the morning, there is still dew on the ground. And there's, a, there's this element of mystery to this. Where does this water come from? And, <coughs> and so dew is used throughout the Old Testament as this image of the, the un, unseen or unforeseen blessing of God. Where has is, where is this come from? We've not done anything to bring this water here. No, God has just poured out his blessing. Remember, this is a song of worship, right? David's not saying, right guys, get it together. Get yourselves in unity. He's saying, no, this is from God. This, this good and pleasant thing, this, this union that we have with one another, this love that we have for one another in God is from God. It is a thing from God. It's not our achievement. We see that in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 as, as Paul is unpacking the gospel as he's been doing for, uh, as he opens up the, his letter to the Ephesian churches. He, he says in chapter 2, look, God himself has made peace between us. There are people in this room who you would not speak to unless you were both Christians, right? There are people you would probably never meet. But God has broken down every dividing wall and has brought us to one another. There's this beautiful moment in, in the Gospels where Jesus on the cross uh, turns to his mother Mary and says, Mary, behold your son, pointing at John. And he says to John, he says, and John, behold your mother. 
There is this, this time that these, these two parties come to Jesus on the cross and then they leave with new family members. That's what happens when we come to Jesus. We are not just unified with him, but he unifies us with one another. It is a work of God. He breaks down the dividing walls. Those things that would make you far off from me. Those things that would make me not want to talk to you or you not want to talk to me. He breaks down every single one of them and he unifies us together. It is a work of God. And this is why Paul can say when he writes to the church in Colossians, as he opens up the letter to them, he says, I, you know, I've, 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 not, I've not been to visit you yet, but, the, but I, I, I praise God because I've, I've heard of your love for the saints. That word saints is just Christians. I heard about your love for the church. I heard how you, you love uh, the church, that you, you, even people you don't know. Like, I thank God for that. You think, what? Why are you thanking God for what I'm doing? And Paul is able to say, well, it's, it's a work of God in your life. It is an evidence of God at work in your life. Remember what John was saying? John was saying, you know, the, the evidence of the work of God is that you love the church. And so God, Paul is able to say, I thank God for what he's doing in you because your love for the church is being reported right around the world. I would love to be, I'd love for Freedom Church to be known that way. That we're known for being the church that just loves the church. That loves what God is doing. Even when we don't know people, we are able to pray, as we often do, for uh, churches and friends in nations um, uh, as God is working there. We love one another. And we see in this picture as well that just like uh, in the, the picture of oil, this, this dew flows out. Right? It doesn't stay on Mount Hermon. It flows down the mountainside to bless these arid nations. To, the many nations get their water from the rain and the dew that falls on Mount Hermon. The church is meant to be like that. We are not to gather up this dew for ourselves, build great dams and say, no, this water will not leave here. We are the mountain on which the favour of God has fallen, the love of God has fallen, and from there the blessing goes into all the nations. Our call in Freedom Church is to bless North Hull, is to be a blessing to North Hull with the overflow of the love of God. That blessing that's commanded, life forevermore. That's what we've received. But it's not to be stopped at this door. We're to take it into all the world. The call on us is to take it into North Hall and to the ends of the earth. Wonderful to, uh, to have sent Brian and Sarah um, to uh, Birmingham. Do continue to pray for them uh, when you remember them. But, but we have many, uh, many other places on our hearts as a church that we would want to see many people sent into. I'd love to send people to places where nobody has even heard of Jesus before from here. I would love to do that. And you know what? We're called to do that. And so you may well be the answer to that prayer. You might not know it yet, or maybe you do. But either way, I believe God has called us to be a people who are, are blessing the nations. And we see it here in this scripture. Hey, arid places, deserts, dry land will be made places where fruit grows because of the word of God and the blessing of God and because of the unity that we have here. That's where we get our name, Readings Beyond from, is the, the scriptures, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, look, as, as your faith grows, as you continue to grow in faith, marked by the love that you have for one another, 
our hope is that our sphere, our area of influence and action will grow so as to reach with the gospel the regions beyond you. That's where we get our name as a family of churches. Hey, when, when we love one another well, when we're like-minded, when we belong to one another in the way that we're called to belong to one another, the nations benefit. The whole world will benefit. That's the call. And so when you bump heads with your brother in this room, when you, uh, when you fall out with one another, hey, we, our job is to quickly sort that out, to quickly get, uh, get that um, together because we are called uh, to be unified in mind and in heart and in doing so, bless the ends of the world. <clears throat> now, I just want to finish just a little bit by just talking about how it is that happens. How is it that we are unified? Because it's one thing to say, look, it's great. Uh, we, should, we should be doing this. It's a wonderful thing. We all nod our heads. It's a lot harder on the ground to, to, to agree with one another, to, to belong to one another uh, in that way. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm okay. I'm okay. Thank you. Um, it's a difficult thing to work out. And I think the first thing we've got to note is that it's already a done deal, right? That's the first thing to spot. This isn't something, as I say, this is a song of worship to God. This is, this is we're worshiping God for something he's done. We're not trying to achieve this ourselves. In fact, when Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he's talking about unity, he's not saying, come together, guys. He's saying, you are together, and so don't fight against the unity that God has given you. And that's, this, that's something for us to understand that we're not, we, we are already unified. We are already together because we all belong to Christ. And so when we fall out with one another, or when we disagree with one another on the things that matter, when we fail to love one another, we're not failing to achieve something. We're actually working against what God has already done and is doing in our hearts as a church. Um, A.W. Tozer writes this in his book. He's a theologian and he writes this book, The Pursuit of God. He says this, I just love this line. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to one another? Say that again. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to one another? The point he's getting at there is, you know, when you... You tune a piano. I've, I've never done it. I don't think I've got the ear for it. But when someone comes and chooses a piano, they have a fork. Ding! And they're like, okay, like that's, I don't know what it is. I was going to say that's C, but then somebody who actually knows music would tell me off. But there's a, <laughs> but there's a, but they, and then they, they tune the piano according to that fork, and then they're able to tune the whole piano from that, from that note. Now, if you do that 100 times to 100 pianos, they are all going to sound in unison. The problem is when you try to tune one piano, one out-of-tune piano, to another out-of-tune piano, or you try to tune them together, you're not going, they're not going to sound any nicer for it. And they're not even going to be that close to one another. They're more, they, are, they are better tuned to one another when they are both tuned to the same fork. And you can do that 100 times. And that's the call that was on us. Right, we are we're all called to pursue God, to fix our eyes on him. And as we do, we'll find ourselves being drawn closer and closer together. 
You know, the fight for unity doesn't look like me looking at each one of you and trying to make you more like me or make myself more like you. No, the fight for unity is each one of us together encouraging one another, let's go to Jesus. Let's go up to the mountain. Let's go to, to the house of the Lord and there we'll be unified. I love that picture of, of even these pilgrims on their way to um, at the house of God to worship uh, God in these key times. And you imagine they're coming from all their scattered lands. And as they get closer and closer, they come more and more together. They find themselves more and more uh, uh, together when they are approaching the place of worship, when they approach God. Now, we are not coming to a temple anymore. Right? The temple has served its purpose. It, is, it has been done. Now, we come now to Jesus. Right? We come to him our high priest and as we do as we set our eyes on him we find ourselves drawn together more and more more able to love one another more able to uh, to agree with one another and that is the call that is the call and as we do this as we do this we will find ourselves being a blessing to the very ends of the earth I wonder, would you stand with me? I'd love us just to pray. Um, <coughs> yeah. There are a number of responses that might, might be needed at, at some point on the back of just having looked at the scripture. It might well be that there are, that there are people in mind that you know that you need to uh, sort out your relationship with that you, you know that you've been struggling to get on with or that you've bumped heads with them or um, that you've just, there's just been some difficulty in relationship and you just need to, to sort that out um, the Bible makes it uh, very clear, Jesus gives some clear instructions you know, if somebody offends you, you take it to them if, if, if they have trouble with that then you bring somebody else, else in and they'll help you with that relationship that's the we're all called to, to work together on this. You're not alone, even in your relationships with one another. It might be that there's, there's something of that kind of work that needs doing. But I, I want to leave that um, for now. If, if there is something like that, do um, make sure you do something about it. Don't leave that undealt with. And if you need to bring somebody else into it, then, then do. But, but right now, I just want us to pray together that, that we, would, we would be good at fixing our gaze on God. And even as, as Neil sang right at the beginning, that kind of him, he is the one who is making all things new. You know, he is the one who makes us one new man in Christ. You know, we were divided. We were separated, but now we are one body, one family, one new man in him. So Lord, I just pray. Father, would you come? Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty and the glory that is displayed in Christian unity. I thank you, Father, that you have made us your body to display your glory to the ends of the earth in the way that we love one another. And in, by, and in loving one another, we're able to love the world. And that our love for one another, your love for us, and our love for the world will be the, the water that rushes down the mountain and that makes the dry places are bountiful with fruit. Lord, you, you are the one who makes uh, rivers uh, run on barren lands. You're the one who, who, 
put springs in the desert. Lord, and, and, and we know that you've called us to be those springs, to be those rivers, to, 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 to be the place where <laughs> the waters of life flow out from. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would do that work in us and continue to do that work in us, that you would make us one another, that we wouldn't have an attitude towards church that is, uh, we, we dip in and out of, but we, we, we have this, we dwell together, we belong to one another, we, we are one another's, we we, we, we count each other more important than ourselves. Lord, I pray that there would be, there would be no sense of um, attending a show, even as we start off with, we, we, we would know this, what it means to, to dwell in unity, to love one another in this way, to give our lives to one another, to belong to one another, to, to truly think of uh, somebody else as more important than ourselves and to give them every space to grow. Lord, I pray that we would know the goodness and the pleasantness that is found in the unity that you have given us. And God, I do pray for the church worldwide, or that we would more and more be coming together in the faith that we share, in those things that you've given us, both in our faith and our belief, and also in our purpose and the call that you've given us to take this wonderful news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Lord, we ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.